the importance of black and brown folks getting involved in tech and even more specifically artificial intelligence, right? And so if you think about, you know, some of the ways wealth has changed hands, if in the past, the majority of people developed their wealth through things like oil, think about like the industrial revolution, you know, most of those folks don't, aren't black and aren't brown. Right. But that's because it required a certain amount of resources to be able to create a business in that particular industry. And so now that we live in a world that's driven by software, right, I could literally, you know, start a company, build a program from my computer. Welcome to Latinx in Power, a podcast hosted by Thaisa Fernandes. Welcome to Latinx in Power. Today we are talking with Darius Gent. Darius is a founder at Tesoro AI and a podcast host at the Darius Gant Show. He has a Bachelor of Arts in Accounting and an MBA in Finance. Darius inspiring people through his journey from a pro athlete to Columbia MBA to private equity investor to tech leader and founder. That's amazing, Darius. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you inviting me on to the show here. Like I was saying before, I know most folks who tune in don't know how much um, hard work goes on behind the scenes. So I want to give you props for keeping the show going. And uh, again, thank you for allowing me to be on here today. Thank you. In this episode, we'll talk more about Darius' journey, leaving a top venture capital firm to focus on entrepreneurship in artificial intelligence, and also why and how AI is changing the world. I guess we will learn a lot today. <laughs> you also see that my career has been a little crazy in terms of just the number of things that I've done, but it's uh, it's been a great journey. That's amazing. So a question we always ask people, and I love to hear all the answers. What does it mean to be a Latino for you? Yeah, you know, for me, it's more about a connection to the community, right? So, you know, I wouldn't consider myself Latino by any stretch, you know, African-American male born in the West suburbs of Chicago. But I spent the last three years living in Medellin, Colombia, also spent time living in Costa Rica as well. And so, you know, one of the things that I love about the culture in both Costa Rica and here as well is just the energy of the Latino community. Community, right? It's such a positive energy on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, from the music to, you know, the way people are in the streets on a daily basis. I'm in Medellin um, today. People are just, you know, very nice. Right? <laughs> and not every U.S. city is like that. But I think a lot of that comes from a lot of the things that you see in the culture. Right. And I, I like to reference the music a lot because there's kind of a lot of, you know, positive vibes that come from that. You know, the dancing, you know, with the salsa, merengue, bachata, all of those different things and even the language as well. So, you know, I really enjoy the connection to the community and then, you know, how I think about things personally and professionally. You know, I'm always one to support people who aren't generally represented in, you know, the economic growth that we're seeing across the world, but also in, in North America and the United States and want to be kind of that person who supports the underdog. And so, you know, my time having lived in both Costa Rica and Colombia, I've always felt very supported by the Latino community. And so a lot of what I do from a professional perspective is try to give that back to the community, through the businesses that I start, through the connections that I have. That's amazing. I love that. And it's amazing that you have experience in 
living many different places so you can combine everything that's really inspiring and how did everything start I'll kind of start where I am today. I live in, in Medellin, Colombia, run a company called Tesoro AI. And uh, essentially we help startups and enterprises build AI solutions and AI team leveraging Latin American talent, right? And so let's go back, you know, to the beginning of my career, right? I went to college, Illinois Wesleyan University, got a bachelor's in accounting, you know, got a job working as a CPA for big four accounting firm, KPMG, when I was in Chicago. You know, that was very interesting to me because before that, you know, I had always considered myself an athlete, right? And so I played college basketball, but, you know, at a certain point in my career in college, I started to look at different opportunities that exist for me outside of sports, right? I may not be the next LeBron James, Michael Jordan, you know, someone who makes, you know, a career for a lifetime off of the sport. So even if I were to go pro, there's still kind of this, most people retire at 30 years old. If they're lucky enough to make that far, in professional sports, you still have another 50 years. <laughs> so, you know, what skill sets can I develop that are going to enable me to live, you know, for the remainder of my life, right? So as I started kind of exploring, I discovered the business world. And, you know, one of the things I was really inspired by is some of the people who looked like me that I hadn't been exposed to before, but that were doing amazing things in business. For me, in this particular situation, it was in accounting. And so while I had looked up to folks like, you know, Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali, these, you know, iconic figures in sports, I started to recognize other iconic figures that looked like me in business. And I said, wow, this is an entirely new world that I could potentially be one of those folks, right? And so that motivation it actually was the reason, the driver behind me pursuing a business career immediately after college versus pursuing a professional basketball career immediately after college. Now, that story is, you know, maybe we'll go into that. I did eventually play professional basketball, but my first job out of college was as a CPA for KPMG. I went on after, so I worked for in accounting for about a year. Great experience. Um, learned the numbers behind the business, how numbers drive a business. Ultimately, though, for me, I'm more of a, you know, a person who's driven by creativity. And so in accounting, it's a good skill set to have. But for me, you know, it was challenging challenging because creativity is like a dangerous word, right? And so when I started to look at what are the things that I could do next, the two options were entrepreneurship. I had a number of friends who were who had started their own businesses or going to finance, which is a similar career, but you're allowed to flex more creativity. I decided to go the entrepreneurial route, right? Had a number of mentors who kind of sold me on the entrepreneurial vision. I started a company that essentially helps young professionals with financial management, right? That was great services. It was a services business, and I had a lot of good experiences helping young professionals get on track. Ultimately, though, that was a challenge, right? Because there's only 24 hours in a day. And when you're serving as essentially a consultant, right, there's only so many people you can work. This is the long-winded story, <laughs> the long version of my story, by the way. But one of the interesting things is I stumbled onto tech, right, which is a much more scalable path to go down. I stumbled onto tech and I stumbled onto something else called mergers and acquisitions. So what I learned about mergers and acquisitions is, hey, look, instead of just building, scaling a company by being the founder, you could actually scale companies by going out and just buying businesses and merging them together and creating a larger business, which was a really interesting concept. And I was like, well, look, you know, starting something from scratch is incredibly tough. 
right? I didn't know that, you know, M&A, mergers and acquisitions, could be equally <laughs> as tough. But I was like, hey, look, you know, this is an interesting path to go down. I got some exposure to that world during my time in entrepreneurship. But what I did learn is that's background for that career path. You're more of a investor, right? Now, when I said, you know, well, I don't have an investment background. So there's, I'm not going to go out here and raise, you know, a billion dollars to go acquire companies, not at 24 years old, you know, and with the skill sets that I had at the time. So I was like, what's another way I can get the money? Oh, you know what? You know how to play sports really well. You know? <laughs> so that was kind of got me thinking. There are guys like Magic Johnson, like Jamal Masburn, and a number of other athletes. You see even more now with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and these other guys who are becoming venture capitalists, right? But my idea at that time, this is probably like 2010 or something like that, was, you know what? I can just use my earnings as a professional athlete to then go in and invest in companies. That kind of gave me the economic reason to go back into sports to create a longer term wealth creation path for myself. But then there was also that fire for just wanting to stay. I was able to do it, right? People had always asked me, so, you know, why didn't you go play pro? Like, it doesn't make sense that you never did it. And so that, that question always lingers, could I have done it? And so that was also another motivation. So I did that, went back and played uh, professional basketball, did it for a couple of years, ruptured my Achilles tendon I and mean, had to make a kind of a career decision, right? Am I going to continue on this track for basketball or am I going to go back and try to figure out how to, you know, do something as an entrepreneur or as an investor? I decided to go the business path. And so after playing sports, I ended up working in, I found a job in investment banking, spent a couple of years in investment banking, then got admitted into Columbia Business School, where I was then able to focus on entrepreneurship and technology. And after that, uh, went to work at a private equity venture capital firm in Los Angeles that invests in software companies. So then I was able to make my way and actually become a, an investor at one of the top firms in North America. Yeah. It's super inspiring to me to hear. I can definitely see how smart and strategic you are. And since the beginning, so you have basically two plan A's in your career. So that's really inspiring and always looking for inspirations, people that look like you. And this is another example how representation, it's so, so, so important. We need to see ourselves doing the things we are like inspiring to do or planning to do. So that's really amazing. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, I believe, you know, representation is one of the most critical things and we need it to inspire folks. I mean, if mm -hmm. you look at, for example, like the, you know, Sir Venus and Serena Williams, right? Prior to them, I, you know, I'm not a huge tennis person, but I don't know if there were any black women tennis players that you could look up to, you know, as a blueprint for your success. But now that you have them, I forget, you know, the name of the two black tennis stars that exist right now. But like, it's not an accident that happened. Right. As kids, they were probably inspired by watching Venus and Serena Williams and charted a path towards becoming that because of who they saw. Right. And for me, once I discovered that there were folks like Reginald Lewis, which is a, you know, it's an African-American guy who was one of the first well recognized in terms of African-American investors as kind of one of the kings of mergers and acquisitions, private equity. Um, but then you also got Robert Smith who is, you know, leading Vista Equity Partners, the best performing enterprise software investor. And so you see these folks and you're like, oh, well, I can do this too, right? And that level of inspiration, you know, has an impact on people who otherwise would have taken their ambitions and applied it to another field. 
And talking about Robert Smith, you hosted a fire chat with Robert, a billionaire tech investor. So you discussed tech and wealth generation in black and brown communities. I know this is a topic that has been the inspiration behind your career moves. Do you want to talk more about it? Yeah, for sure. So it was awesome to have that opportunity to share the stage. Like you're talking to, for me, in my head, I'm still a kid who grew up in, you know, a small suburb in Chicago, you know, with cornfields in his backyard, right? And so I never would have thought that me sharing the stage with a billionaire would have happened until I decided that that was something that would be interesting to me while I was at Columbia Business School. So, you know, just thinking about that, right, in that conversation and some of the many nuggets that he dropped in the conversation, I was the interviewer, but I also had my pen and pad out, you know, taking notes. Well, mentally, of course, because I had to do the interview. But, you know, he talked a lot about entrepreneurship. He talked a lot about the importance of Black and brown folks getting involved in tech and even more specifically artificial intelligence, right? And so if you think about, you know, some of the ways wealth has changed hands. If in the past, the majority of people develop their wealth through things like oil, think about like the industrial revolution. You no, know, most of those folks don't, aren't black and aren't brown, right? But that's because it required a certain amount of resources to be able to create a business in that particular industry. And so now that we live in a world that's driven by software, right? I could literally, you know, start a company, build a program from my computer, Right. And so the resources required to do that are significantly lower. Right. That's just thinking about software. But now we think about the impact that artificial intelligence is going to have. Right. It's going to create significant wealth. The statistic is that today, artificial intelligence is a hundred billion dollar market. By 2028, it's going to be a trillion dollar market. Right. And so you think about all of the people who are going to take advantage of that and make money off of that. Right. Most of them, as presently constructed, don't look like us. Right. But artificial intelligence is such an early phase. Right. Not in its development, because it's been around for a while, but in its adoption that there aren't your quote unquote gatekeepers that exist in that market. So it opens the field for anyone who's willing to develop a skill set around building and deploying AI products or just playing in that market in general, right, to have access to that wealth that's going to be created. And the opportunity is such that we haven't seen anything like it since the, you know, industrial revolution, right? And so for a lot of those reasons, they call this the fourth industrial revolution. Now, I'm always trying to push folks to get into it now because, as business matures, as industries mature, you start to have gatekeepers, right? I'll go back to, let's say, finance, for example. There was a time when everyone wanted to become an investment banker, but there was a time when investment banking was new. There was a time when private equity was new, right? Eventually, now there are gatekeepers. You know, you want to get into that industry. You know, a lot of those people have, you know, hey, I have an, an MBA from Harvard Business School, Wharton Business School, you know, Columbia Business School. You know, I went to a top, not even that, I went to Columbia University for undergrad. I worked at a investment bank, you know. So there's this kind of this path that you have to take that really it's a lot less accessible to black and brown people. Right. So the time is now to get involved, because if we wait, that window begins to close. 
right? Mm -hmm. But if we get involved now, you have people who look like us that not only help from a representation perspective, what we were talking about before, but also have the influence and financial resources to create, you know, an industry that can be more representative of what our global population looks like. So that was kind of the discussion that we had. We talked about entrepreneurship a bit there, but the way kind of that impacted my career is, you know, I, I later went on to invest at a private equity firm that invests in um, software companies. But with this idea of artificial intelligence in mind, I had always been thinking about, you know, well, how do I position myself to be a part of that? Right? I didn't have the answer at the time, but that was a basis for me to start thinking about that. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. So AI, it's definitely changing the world. And now there's opportunity for black and brown communities to be part of that since the beginning. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I think about a lot of ways to get other folks <laughs> involved, not just myself. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, I hope a lot of folks hearing us today that might be thinking about AI or maybe we are just uh, starting the conversation for them, they will keep in mind in the future. So that's really inspiring and really great to hear about your experience as well. We definitely need more representation in AI, like now, today. <laughs> And I'm curious to know more, what are your favorite uncommon strategies to success as a tech founder? Yeah, so as a founder, interesting. It's definitely one of the more rewarding things that you can do, but more challenging. The number one thing is we think about, especially in tech product a lot, but I would say, you know, the people element is more important. Because the people element plays into very, I mean, if you think it, just think about the organization itself, right? You've got to recruit folks in to help you build, whether that be a co-founder, you know, first employees, and they're not going to just come knock on your door while you're coding, if you're coding, and say, hey, can I come work for your company? You have to be out identifying people who would be a great fit and who you'd like to team up with on the journey. The other element of that is when you think about the product itself, when you're building out this product, you have to build something that people actually want to use, whether it's a B2C product or a B2B product. So in the development process, a lot of people want to focus product, product, product. Yes, but people have to actually say it's worth buying, right? And so it's involving people in that process of really, you know, understanding the product and how you can create something that will have adoption and market value so that ultimately, you know, as you build a business, it's something that drives revenue, right? And so, you know, there's this whole idea of, I want to do something that changes the world, right? Well, the world as we think of it is, you know, I think what folks are saying is, I want to do things that changes the lives of the people on the planet, right? So your product and what you do with your product is going to be driven by that. And so you could have the best code in the world, but if people aren't adopting it, it doesn't really, you know, what does it mean? right? You're not going to impact anyone if no one uses it. So including people in your processes very early on is important through all elements of building a business. And, you know, as a founder, it's easy to get trapped in your own little cocoon and not think about all of the different ways that people can be helpful in building what it is you're ultimately trying to build. Yeah, definitely. That's really inspiring. I just read a book. It's called Good to Great. It's basically a research 
that they explore like many different companies and they want to kind of like find out what the difference from like a good company from a great company. And one thing that they talk about is the human factor. First of all, hiring great people. It's amazing. I actually, I just read last week and it was really inspiring to me to think more about this. What's the difference between a good and great company? And coming back to the subject about you being an athlete as well, personally to me, it's really inspiring to hear your story. Actually, in this podcast, we also talked with Natalie Marquino. She was a former rugby player and she did this transition from a professional Olympic athlete to corporate America. And mm -hmm. your story, I feel that's a little bit different because it feels like you always had in mind this idea of exploring different careers. So I just wanted to hear more. How was your process? It was something that you always had in the beginning, this idea of like exploring different industries, different things, and kind of like having two plan A's. How was that for you? Yeah, you know, so I have my friends make this joke that when I say something, they're always going, well, you have never lacked ambition. Uh -huh. <laughs> But, um, you know, for me, growing up, I had always probably like most other basketball players in my generation were like, hey, I would love to be the next Michael Jordan. Right. And so you kind of try to do all the things that he did to reach that level of success. It was the cool thing to do, but it also resonated with highly ambitious, you know, young black kids. Right. Young black boys. That's no secret why, you know, you look at the majority of the NBA and although, you know, what's the 14% of the population or 13% of the population in the United States are black, right? Well, I say African-American, but overwhelmingly represented in the NBA, probably your most highly ambitious people are going straight for that industry, right? And that's just natural ambition and willingness to do whatever it takes to win, right? So, you know, I was of that same mentality and basically allocated all of my energy to being successful in that one particular industry. Now, in that industry, I think the statistic is 0.1% of people who try to become professional athletes ever make it. And so you have a bunch of highly talented people that never make it, but don't use the skill sets learned in that sport to apply it to a different field, right? So when I discovered that I could be successful outside of basketball, it was kind of like opening up an entirely, you know, new world. Like I had discovered a utopia, right? And so, you know, I'm looking at this business and seeing the opportunities that are available, which ignited that ambition and ignited that fire in me that, you know, Wow. If I just applied, you know, all of the things that helped me to become, you know, in that 0.1% or let's just say 1%, you know, at the time I was in college. So top 1% of folks who have achieved this level of success, I can actually apply all those things to another field and see where it takes me. Right. And so, you know, I would say the majority of my life I had patterned I had positioned myself to become, you know, the next Michael Jordan, right? But when I discovered that there were other options available to me that in many ways make a lot more sense, you know, financially and, you know, health-wise, you know, lifestyle-wise, it was like, wow, you know, I need to explore that because look, there's already a Michael Jordan of the NBA, but we don't have 
a Michael Jordan, you know, a person who looks like me in those other industries who has been the best at what they do. And so I could pivot that ambition to another field. And that's kind of what took me down a different career path from being a professional basketball player and where I decided, you know what, I'm not the only person who can do this, right? There are a lot of other Black and Brown folks who are very talented, are very ambitious, but if they saw what else was out there, they'd have more opportunity, right, to kind of leverage that ambition to be successful in a different field that they probably hadn't really considered, you know, beforehand. That's amazing. I feel since I moved to the U.S. and built my career here, I thought that one thing that helped to accelerate my growth was to have the right resources. And I feel a lot of times we need to do research for sure. And also someone to help us to point to the right direction. So I'm curious to hear from you. What are the resources that helped you in your journey? It can be anything, podcasts, books, inspiring people, TED Talks. So it's interesting, right? Like you've seen kind of the various different things that I've done. And every time I have a crazy idea to do something, there's always someone who's like, what? <laughs> you are crazy, right? And they may mean well, but, you know, it's me. This is what I want to do. Right. And I've been very in my past, been very kind of vocal about what my dreams are and just try to have that conversation with as many people as I can. Right. And find I'm like, look, you know, I just need to find the one person who can help. Right. It doesn't matter how many people say this is a bad idea. It's a crazy idea. I need to find the one person who has resources and is willing to help me. It's probably a better way to put that, right? And so, you know, through every part of that journey, there's been, first and foremost, someone who could point me in the right direction in terms of what the next step is that I need to take and who would, you know, be willing to, you know, they had confidence and they believed in me and said, you know, well, do X, Y, Z, right? And that'll get you to the next step. So getting into Columbia Business School, you know, there was someone who vouched for me with that. Getting into investment banking, there was someone who vouched for me with that. Getting into accounting, there was someone who in, who vouched for me with that. Private equity, professional basketball, like artificial intelligence, there was always someone who kind of helped me to structure my journey. And so that's why, you know, again, thinking about people, right, it's always, to me, important to, you know, understand that element of the journey. Like we live in a world that is becoming increasingly dominated by technology, but that's just a tool. The people are ultimately the ones who use the tool. And, you know, we're only knowledgeable of the tools that we know exist, right? Whether that be tech, whether that be a book, whether that be, you know, a conversation, right? Or the ability to have a conversation. And so we have to rely on people for us to understand, you know, well, what tools do I need to pick up? You know, what vehicle do I need to hop in to get me to that next step in whatever that it could be just what's a better way to deploy our product? Well, there's someone who has tackled that product or something similar to it before. So that person is going to speed up our journey. And it may mean that we have to learn a new skill set, but we hadn't known about that skill set before. So we have to rely on people to help guide where it is that we or how it is that we ultimately accomplish that next goal. And think about it in reverse too, right? As we accumulate all of these skill sets, how can we look at people who are on kind of an earlier phase of that journey and direct them, right? And help them to speed up, you know, basically get to, from A to B. Mm -hmm. 
Amazing. Find that one person and some co of life, right? And then after you acquire the skills, you give back. It can be five people who want to, it can be a hundred people who want to help you. My Mm -hmm. major point was like, look, this is what I want to do. And I've decided this is what I'm going to do. Okay. So everybody else can say it's crazy. I just need to find one person. If it becomes 50, that's great. But I need to find one person who can help me with it. Mm -hmm. Right. So you know, that's kind of been my approach in all of these different journeys that I've taken personally. I love that. Thank you for sharing. That was amazing. Darius. it's early in the morning for me today. So I'm going to have a great day. I'm feeling really inspired right now. I want to leave those last minutes for you to share anything you want to share and also where people can find you. So I'll give the business handles. It's www.tesoroai. Dot com, T-E-S-O-R-O-A-I.com. But for folks who want to learn more about artificial intelligence, I think a great way to do that is understand why it's even being created, right? There's a technical element and then there's kind of the purpose of it. So I host a podcast. It's called The Darius Gantt Show. Um, you can just Google The Darius Gantt Show and it'll, all your popular podcasts is on those platforms. But the podcast dives into practical use cases of artificial intelligence in business and in the real world. So it takes it from being this kind of very complex topic, you know, that generally is only understood by statisticians, data scientists, machine learning engineers, Right. And puts it in the context of, you know, what we do in our normal everyday lives, what we do in business, the problems that the technology is solving. And then we go a step further in thinking about how some of the leading entrepreneurs, I mean, AI founders are actually building these technologies. Right. And so we get an understanding of what capabilities or what is AI enabling? You know, how is this going to change my life? So that's one podcast. The other podcast I have is dedicated towards, or I should say, focused on underrepresented tech founders. Right. And so I think it's amazing that we've got a lot more funding going towards, you know, underrepresented tech founders and the novel ideas that naturally come from these communities. You know, I want to promote their stories, right, and have their stories, their journeys put on display. And so that podcast is called Build Tech, Stack Equity. And so per the name, right, it's about building technology. But how do we, you know, focus on the biggest driver of growth, which is equity? Right. So, you know, just thinking about wealth generation through the lens of technology entrepreneurship. And so these folks, you know, these founders get a chance to come on and tell their stories, talk about their products, talk about their journey and the learning lessons that they've had in that process. So that's another resource that people can dive into. But other than that, yeah, I mean, and then you can connect with me through any one of those channels. Website has contact information. My personal email is Darius at tesoroai.com if anyone wants to reach out. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you for sharing. We're also going to link to the description of this episode all the resources you mentioned so people can get in touch with you and listen to your podcast, check your website. That was incredible. Thank you so much. Oh, again, thanks for having me. That's it for today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. I learned 
a lot. Artificial intelligence is something kind of new to me, so it was really inspiring to hear Darius. I hope you enjoyed it. This is our last episode this year, and I hope I will see you again next year. We definitely have a lot of surprises, a lot of good conversations prepared for 2022, and I hope you all well, and as always, feel free to share with us any feedback you might have, always with kindness, and see you soon. Thank you.